Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Last Show on Earth. I'm John Owen Jones. And I'm Alistair Brammer, and you are listening to the podcast where each episode we ask our guest the big, big question that nobody ever needed to ask. If there was a huge asteroid hurtling towards Earth, threatening to destroy life as we know it, and you could see one more show before you die, what would it be? It can be anything you want, a show you've seen, one that you wish you'd seen, or something you've made up entirely. Our guest this episode is multi-award winning best-selling novelist Joanne Harris OBE. Her breakthrough novel Chocolat was made into a very popular Hollywood movie starring Johnny Depp and Juliette Binoche and since then she has written 20 more best-selling novels, some novellas, short stories, video game scripts, the libretti for two short operas, several screenplays, a stage musical and three cookbooks. Her books have sold in their millions and have been published in over 50 countries. You'd think that would be enough to keep her busy, but no, she also regularly sings in her own band, the Storytime Band, and not only is she the singer, she also plays, wait for it, the flute. The flute! So she's the first, in fact I think she will be the only last show guest, who is both a novelist and a flautist. Well, you know the old saying, if you've got it... Flautist. We talked to musical theatre fan Joanne in October, and she joined us from her beloved writing shed, which is where she writes all her books and stuff, and where she no doubt listens to cast recordings in between writing sessions. And I'm sure one of the cast albums that she listens to in there is the 2012 West End cast recording of the show she chooses for her last show on Earth. But what is it? Is it a show about chocolate? Uh, Sorry, I should say chocolat. No. Sorry, I should say, more. But it is definitely food-related. Want to know what it is? Yes. Uh, sorry, I should say, oui. <laughs> Je fais drôle. Here, here is the last show on Earth of the fascinating and lovely Joanne Harris. Bon appétit. I wrote my first book when I was nine, but I've, I've always written. You know, I, I just always did it. On here we ask a question nobody dared to ask. If you had a day to live, what show would be your last? What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth! My name is John. My name is Al. Been friends a long time past. We want to know what show you'd see if you knew it was to be your last. What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth! What is your last show? This is the last show on earth. The classiest guest we've had. Oh, I can't believe that. Not for a moment. Um, I have read. What have I read of yours? I read Chocolat years ago, but who hasn't? Uh, The Gospel of Loki. Uh, I'm rereading Blue Eyed Boy, which you very kindly gave me a signed copy of when you came to see me in Phantom all those years ago. Huh. You probably don't remember that. I do remember that. I started it when you gave it to me, and then I think I went on holiday and forgot it, 
and then I never picked it up again. So I'm rereading it, and I've just got to the point where I remember nothing. So I'm in that point of the book. It's about page 200, where I go, oh, I don't remember any of this. But it's weird that after – it must be 10 years ago at least that I read that, and I can still remember chunks of that book. That's a testament to your writing, of course. Uh, and I've just listened to the audio book of the very excellent, and I highly recommend it to people, Broken Light, your most recent novel. Ah. That came out – when did that come out? It came out uh, – well, it came out last – this year, actually, right. so much has happened that I've actually forgotten, but it came out in, in June. And uh, so, sold well, received well? Very, um, mostly, yeah. And the, the, you're right, the audiobook is tremendous. Read by Imogen Stubbs, um, who was phenomenal uh, at reading it, really very skilled, who, of course, was married to Trevor Nunn, who directed Les Mis, etc., etc. Et so there's a huge musical theatre connection there. Um, but that's why, primarily, we are welcoming you to our podcast today to talk mostly about musical theatre. We could talk for hours about your books and all the other things you've done. Um, but the first thing we should do is say, welcome to the podcast, Joanne Harris. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Thank you. Uh, that's the weirdest intro we've ever done. Yeah, done I mean, it sort of backwards. We chatted about stuff first. Yeah, we, we actually are much more uh, professional than this normally, <laughs> Joanne. We're a bit starstruck. Yeah, but I just was so keen to talk to you. And I want you to show off I'd read your books. I'm currently reading Gentlemen and Players, by the way, as well. Um, it was it was in... Oh, right. You know when you go to the bit, because I've just been on a holiday for three weeks, and you know how people do little book swaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was one of those weird one of those weird stories where I heard that you were a podcast guest, and about five days later, I'd, I'd finished my whatever it was, and I popped it down. I was like, no way. That's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah, extraordinary coincidence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's another creepy one. Very good. Well, uh, those books. Well, let's talk about those books then, because they're set in the fictional town of. I think I pronounced this right by saying Morbury. That's right. Yes. It's a. M- it's spelled M A L. Yes, it's one of those places where nobody knows. Yes. And uh, not unlike Stephen King, of course, and his fictional town of Derry that he sets a lot of his work in. Uh, and you know, it's all circular, isn't it? Because your latest book, Broken Light, was inspired by Carrie. Um, from what I, I gather, yeah, uh, very similar in so many ways, but so much better, I must say. Look, and I can say that because I don't think we'll ever get Stephen King in this podcast because uh, I don't know him. Damn it! Yeah. So, uh... But actually, my my editor married his son, wow. which is a weird one. Oh, great! You've got a connection. I do. Six degrees of separation. There we are. That, he can be our Halloween guest. Yes. Can you get him to be our Halloween guest next year? That would be great. I can. I can give it my best shot. No, oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, well, maybe he'd do it. Am I right in saying that every single... Is this true that every single one of your books has been a Sunday Times bestseller? I think that's true, yes. I mean, maybe not the um, the cookbooks. <laughs> Extraordinary, isn't it? That is quite incredible. Maybe not the little books, the little novellas. Sure. But the, the big books, yes, <laughs> I think they have. No, that started, of course, with Chocolat, your big you know, breakthrough novel. Um, did then your your books, you wrote Evil Seed before that, didn't you? Was there another one before that? Yes, there was There was a book called there Sleep was. Pale Sister. And so Chocolat was actually my third book. Right. Did they pick up in sales then after, after Chocolat? People went back and dug into your catalogue? Well, they got reissued because people were curious to know what I'd done before. Mm. But I think, you know, initially they'd been very small print runs and they had, you know, what we like to call a cult following, which means that they were largely unread by anybody. Right. Can I I be an an annoying, fledgling writer? Because I have a dream of 
of writing like i'm sure a lot of people do but you've actually but you've actually done it oh god where's this going my question is simply is how long did it take you to get the nerve and then write and finish your first book Oh, well, that's going back quite a long way. I I wrote my first book when I was nine, and it was like 16 pages long. And I got my best friend at school to copy it out 12 times, and we sold the the proceeds to to our friends for sweets, which we ate without telling our parents. And that was the best book deal I was going to get for 30 years. (laughs) But I've I've always written. I wrote when I was a kid. Right. You know, I, I just always did it. See, this is the problem. This is this was my fear. It's in your blood. You have to do it. I feel like maybe I've not got that in me that it's something I must do. Therefore, I never will. Oh, well. No, that's <laughs> not true. That's not necessarily true. But there's that old adage that everyone's got a novel in them, haven't they? I'm not sure that everyone needs to write a novel. I've read some recently by celebrated celebrity authors, which were frankly trash, you know, and then when you you know, read a book, this is sounds like I'm up your ass, you know, Joanne, but when you read a book written by someone who knows how to write, mm. uh, you know, it's just fantastic. What struck me, because it's the first of your books I've read, I'll be honest, it's the first one. It sort of came to me like a little gift and I'm reading it and I'm loving, I'm loving how your your ability, which a lot of writers don't have the ability to your extent of stepping into other people's shoes and knowing what their opinions might be and what they might think of something. And it seems it seems so obvious that like that's the, one of the signs of a great writer. But so many books I read don't have that specificity of character where you know exactly what they're going to think about that, you know, as opposed to what you think, having to step away from yourself. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad that you feel that way. And, and I'm also glad that I don't have to just write about myself because I think just other people are so interesting mm. and their motives for doing things and particularly villains actually I mean you're reading you're both of you reading mm. books with interesting villains yeah and I just think it's it's really interesting to to look at the origins of villainy because nobody sets out to be a villain nobody says oh, oh I'm going to be a villain when I grow up <laughs> it's little incremental steps towards a line which you don't spot until you've passed yeah. it Mm. And of course, mm. a very excellent example of that in modern culture would be Breaking Bad, you know, and how slowly he becomes a villain throughout that. And you're watching it thinking, don't do this, don't do this all the way. I adore Breaking Bad. Yes, yeah, great. So that leads me on to my next question. And we will get into your choice of last show and everything, because primarily we, we could talk for hours about your writing. Uh, but we won't because there are lots of other interviews and stuff out there, including Desert Island Discs, which our previous guest Michael Ball also did. So you're the second guest to do oh, nice. uh, Desert Island Discs. And I think you're also the second guest who's got an OBE. Michael Ball's got one as well. I'm sure he has. He certainly deserves one. Yeah, he does. And of course, he's an author as well. He's written his own books, which we haven't read. But uh, but he his, he is not a fellow of the Royal, what is it? RSL, what's that stand for? It's the the RSL, the Royal Society of Literature. (laughs) Amazing. Very nice. Yeah, so a nine-year-old Joanne writing her first novel for sweets is now a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. That's amazing. Um, But we're not going to talk too much about your books, but I am going to say one thing. I've just read that Chocolat is apparently, this is on your amazing website, which I also recommend people go to. What a brilliant in-depth website. You, there's a little link to something where it says that they might be making Chocolat into a TV series. I really hope that will happen. Um, when I sold the rights to the movie, I sold them to Miramax and to Harvey Weinstein, who sat on them for a really long time and um, 
And there was there was a debate about whether he owned stage rights, and he claimed that he did. And every time somebody wanted to make a musical of Chocolat, I had to say, look, I'm sorry, you'll have to talk to Harvey Weinstein. And of course, they never did. Yeah. Um, the rights then went off to Disney when Miramax uh, split up and collapsed. Yeah. And it looks like Disney are planning to exploit it for their platform. So I'm hoping that will happen because I would love to see it reimagined in some other form. Mm. Whether this happens or not is, you know, it's it's beyond me to decide, but I'm watching it all with hope and interest. What, well, it's interesting because what, one thing that does strike me, you know, because it's been 20, uh, 20, 23 years since the film or something like that, 21? 25 next 25 year. 25 years. Oh. 25 years, can you imagine? But there is a, a what I love about about um, your, your choices of subjects is there is, a, there is a timelessness to them. So it's, you could very easily do a TV series now and it wouldn't feel dated because it never was it, it was never absolutely current anyway do you see what I mean mm. that's right that's kind of brilliant it was it was set in a sort of outside of time and the movie kind of wanted to set it in the 50s I'm not quite sure why but it was it was nominally set in the present day in a place that's a little bit of a backwater which made it feel old-fashioned so it could totally be set now um and the backwater would be probably quite similar. Mm. There would be other touches in there. What I would really like to see is to see them introduce some of the the themes that they left out of the book, the the racial themes, the themes of otherness, the the, the themes of immigration, this kind of thing. So, you know, fingers crossed they might do that. Well, I think we're entering a world now with where the long-form TV show has become almost dominant for storytelling, isn't it? It's like you'd have to condense bits of a book or in, like say Les Mis is condensed into the musical. They take all the best bits, not necessarily to some people, but they have had to distill it. But you don't necessarily find joy in that, do you? So when you take anything like, well, why? I tell you what, why don't they, Disney, make a cinematic universe of your Mowbray novels? That'd be good. Ah, well, be good, that it? would be or, interesting. Yeah, or a TV series. Money, probably. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that would that would be great. I would love that. And you're right about the long form. Yeah. The, the long form is absolutely the way to go. And people's attention spans are moving towards binging long form box sets and yeah. multiple plot lines and different perspectives and backstories and all the things that the movies hate because what they really like is linear, simple plot arcs that resolve and none of my yeah. books follow that kind of structure at all no exactly no. yeah 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 we've had a lovely intro there and i think it's important now for us to move on to um al's 10 questions so this is a potted quiz um for you joanne Yo. All about your life and career so far. It's a way of our audience finding out a lot about you quickly. Because um, we could happily talk to you for 12 hours, but um, I'm sure you don't want that. I'm sure you've got a life to live. Not so, whatever. So shall we do Al's 10 questions? Yes. Yo. <laughs> this is Al's 10 questions. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. You wrote the iconic Chocolat, which was turned into a movie in 2001, starring Johnny Depp and Juliette Binoche. But what veteran of the stage played the role of Armand? Ah, it was Judi Dench. Correct. Question two. I've noticed that as well as writing alone, you love to collaborate. Um, with whom have you collaborated on three cookbooks? With Fran Ward, who is a proper writer of cookbooks, whereas I'm just somebody who 
writes fiction about food. (laughs) Very good. Correct. Question number three. You studied at St. Catherine's College, Cambridge. What is the nickname of that college that shares its name with an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical? Spelled differently, but... Cats. Correct. That's an easy one. Come on. You've worked on projects with the wonderful Howard Goodall. But what is the name of his 1984 musical based on the novel by Melvin Bragg? Oh. Oh. Oh, that's a tricky one. Oh. It's one of my favourite musicals, John. I don't know. Mm. I don't know that one. Tell me, tell me. The answer is The Hired Man. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to download that one now. Yes. The enormous gaps in my knowledge of musical theatre are just... Tragic. I happen to have seen the Hired Man. Done, I, yeah, I... I've done it twice. I've done it twice. I did it in youth theatre when I played a character called Jackson. Then I did a concert version of it with Jenna Russell and I played John. And Howard Goodall was there and Melvin Bragg narrated it. Oh. Uh, wow. It's it's a fabulous piece of musical theatre. It really is. I think it's Howard's best work, apart from one other, which we will talk about. But he's incredibly prolific. Yeah. Isn't he? he he's He's written so much. Yeah. Yeah, music musical theatre really was only a thing. I I only started to to watch it in what you know the late nineties mm. and early two thousands. So I've got lots to catch up on actually. Yeah, you've got a world to discover. Yeah, yeah. The Hired Man is an excellent one to start with for Howard's um, back catalogue. So, all right, okay, next question. Question number, I think, number five, I think. Yeah. In your book, Gentlemen and Players, what is the nickname that the boys give Mr. Straightly? He is either called Straight by his friends or Quaz by the boys, which is short for Quasimodo because he looks like a gargoyle and lives in the bell tower. There we are. Correct. It's great, isn't it? It's a great nickname, Quaz. Um, question number six. You wrote the book Five Quarters of the Orange. Can you give me five quarters as a percentage? What? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hang on, wait a minute. Now, this is unfair because I have dyscalculia, which means that I can't really process numbers. Okay. But I'm guessing that it's 125%. Bravo. That's correct. Wow. Is that right? That is right. Oh, good. Yes, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Next question. You are a flautist with an OBE. Name another. Oh, is it James Galway? Correct, correct. Yes. Next question. Right. Which of your novels shares its name with a popular wallpaper design by William Morris? I have it in my downstairs bathroom, by the way. <laughs> that would be The Strawberry Thief. <laughs> correct. Do you, get, uh, do you get royalties for that? <laughs> no, I'm afraid I don't. Um, uh. I did talk about it quite a lot in the book, and it's... Lots of people then gave me things with that design on it, things like handkerchiefs and wash bags and things. But uh, right. oh, that's yes, interesting it's, because it's, you know, I since I played Paul Hollywood, or rather a version of Paul Hollywood in Bake Off the Musical, all I get now is gifts are cake and bread related. Cake. Yeah, but it's just slightly annoying, actually. But that's brilliant, right? <laughs> it, it would be if I wasn't just recently diagnosed uh, as a celiac and I can't eat gluten. <laughs> Oh, no. So, it's like torture, then. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, but what I would prefer is gin. So if anyone's listening and they want to buy me a gift, gin. Gin's very nice. Gluten-free gin. Okay, question yeah, number... Or a, or, or a Range Rover, one of the two. Question number nine. This is the last few yeah. questions. Your music project, Storytime, is described as the following on your website, but complete the description for me. It's a kind of musical storytelling show, combining original music, songs, images and stories as part of an exploration of different forms of narrative. Basically, 
Jack and Ori with drums. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? And also with Hammond organs, with mellotrons, with all sorts of fun stuff. But yes, yeah, we were basically old proggies telling stories. That's what we do. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, I apologise for this last question. In 2021, you wrote your, mu- your mosaic novel of original fairy tales, Honeycomb. As something of a chocolate expert, what is the name of the Cadbury's chocolate bar with a honeycomb centre? Crunchy. Very good. Oh, beautiful pronunciation as well. It beautifully rolled R. Well done. Crunchy. Very nice. <laughs> what did you get? <laughs> nice. What was that score? What was the score? Um, well, only one wrong, wasn't there? Yeah, I think so. So nine. Oh, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Nine out of ten. Bravo. Yeah, there's usually a little trick question in there, but uh, you didn't do that this time. That was kind. Um, I'm surprised you've not heard of The Hired Man, considering you've worked so closely with Howard on The Stunner's Opera. Well, Howard is is incredibly hardworking and writes so many things, and, you know, I I just, I miss that one. And also, he doesn't talk about his work, really, except Hmm. whatever he's working on, right now and and he was he was very that's amazing yeah he, he was very good to work because if you spend five minutes in a room with john you will know that he's played jean valjean phantom of the opera and poor hollywood <laughs> i'm john in the hired man yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's my entire repertoire there uh with with the odd guest appearance in other musicals oh. i was going to ask you another question actually so howard and you wrote this show called the stunners opera mm. now how did that come about and is is it any good where can we hear it, and will it have another life? Well, it came from a, a series of, of tweets on Twitter. I've written a lot of things on Twitter. I wrote a lot of, of stories on there. But I also um, wrote a series of little descriptions of uh, pre-Raphaelite models, who right. are mostly also artists in their own right. And it just got interesting and and howard said well you know this this sounds like you know these could be characters in a musical so i said well you know let's do one let's let's write one and we we got together and and together we co-wrote this musical called oh. he he called it the stunners opera but i think it's just really called stunners um which is about a, a group of modern day women who get locked down after a terrorist attack in a in a an exhibition of pre-raphaelite art And the women come out of the paintings and talk to them and tell their stories. That's amazing. It's an all-female cast. It's completely sung through. The music is divine. Um, It premiered just before COVID started um, at Mount View in Peckham. And it was a group of students who did it. Yes, they were wonderful, actually. They did it on a shoestring. But it looked and sounded beautiful. It played for a week and I went to see pretty much all the performances and wept steadily throughout all of it. (laughs) Um, And we were just about, Howard was just about to sort of take it somewhere else and try to to get it workshopped. And then, of course, lockdown happened, COVID happened. It it sounds very much like something that would be snapped up. We, We are looking for female stories we're looking for, 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 for things where with an ensemble of young people, you know, it sounds like it's, you know, we've got sex, which is a different thing, but I just mean there's these shows coming out and I feel like it would fit very comfortably as something new, but also in keeping with what we want right now. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Alistair, that, that show stunners, um, would you prefer to call it stunners or stunners opera? Well, I'm Howard wanted to call it Stunners Opera, but we ended up calling it Stunners mm, yeah. anyway, which was its original working title when I when I wrote the original 
it was a play originally and then it became a libretto and then it became a sung through thing but yes it was always yeah. called that and i think it probably okay, works yeah. better but are you going to add an exclamation mark no i don't think so because that's a bit too much like camelot yeah but you know not that there's anything wrong with camelot no. have you ever seen the tall guy the movie the tall guy Yes. Elephant Man, the musical in that. It always makes me laugh. that They added the exclamation mark and it really made it... Yes. It just... Yeah, you knew exactly what it was then. Yes, like Freud, the musical in Friends. Yes, Freud, yes. Exclamation mark. I still think Freud, the musical in Friends, needs to be staged because it was, it was objectively wonderful. All you want is a tinkle. I remember that bit. <laughs> That's a great segue then. We could talk then about your last show on Earth Choice because a lot of people do choose to make up their own musicals for this. And we've had other guests do Gavin and Stacey the musical, Chicken Run the musical. Uh, we had Succession the musical, mm-hmm. Hook the musical. But your last show on Earth Choice is an existing property, isn't it? It is. Um, do you know what? It took me months to come up with my Desert Island Discs song. And it could easily have taken me months to come up with this too because I love so many musicals and there are so many shows that I want to see again for the first time. And there are so many kind of dream casts of things. But I think that this one is, it is a version of something that I saw in real life, um, which I was completely blown away with. And I just thought, well, you know, I would love to cheat and see it again all over again. Uh But I would also love to see certain people in certain roles that I haven't seen in those roles. So maybe we can do that. So Mike, Well, you've come to the right place. Absolutely. And what is your show? So this is today's dream choice, although I have like a hundred of them. My show is Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Ooh, glorious. Which I have seen twice. Good one. What productions have you seen? I saw the um, production with Bryn Turfel and... Um, Emma Thompson? And Emma Thompson, that's right, which was very good. But I also saw the production with Michael Ball and Imelda Staunton. Mm, which was great. And which did you prefer? I actually, you know, I'm going to say this. And I have to say that, that your presence there was one of the reasons. Also, you know, that there were some other great people in there. But it was, as a production, it was not as good as the one that I saw at, you know, I think it was... It was Chichester, wasn't was it? it? At the Adelphi. And then it went with, to the Adelphi, um, yeah. That sounds right. Yes. With Michael Ball... And Imelda Staunton, which was, uh-huh. I think, objectively, that the such a good cast, such a good production. Yeah. And actually, the character roles were even better, uh-huh. if I can make a comparison. It's they were a, two very different shows. Yeah, the one I did, of course, was a staged concert. It was. But it was a, it was a huge success and a great thing to be part of. It, but, was, it was great. Yeah, the production you're talking about, of course, is a proper production. Yeah. The one with, with Michael Ball and Imelda. Yes. It's therefore more immersive. Yeah. I saw that production, too, and the set, those... The light bulbs and the, they had, they, it had a ceiling, you know, it was unbelievable. It, was, it really was a world, wasn't it, you were looking at? Mm. It was quite, quite spectacular. And, and I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this because, um, you know, I, because I don't know everything about musical theatre. I had not realised what a great actor Michael Ball is. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, I'd seen him in various things. I'd seen him in, in Les Mis, um, and I'd heard him sing and he's got a, he's got a good voice, but... Without wishing to offend present company, I prefer baritones to tenors, generally, as a rule. Let me stop you there, because I'm actually... You're too, aren't you? You're a, you're a tenor with a good bottom end. Dear. That's what you are. I'm a, yeah, well, I mean, it depends which angle you're looking at me from, but I'm actually classed as a baritone. I've got enough of a range that I'm not a true tenor. That's but a I thing. can sing baritone. 
it's a thing, yeah. But I deliberately left you out of this cast because yeah. that would be that would <laughs> just be too much. That's annoying. But back to Michael Ball. I thought I thought okay, I I thought I'll manage my expectations here because because <laughs> I think that he won't, you know, he he won't necessarily be the best Sweeney, but he was astonishingly good yeah. and 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 he was he was also he also revealed himself to be a really good actor and i think this is this is the kind of musical where you can't just get away with excellent voices you actually yeah. also have to have excellent actors too quite right yeah and that particular casting was 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 really good yeah he's an excellent comic actor michael particularly which which really does lend itself to certain scenes mm. in sweeney i think you you also have to get sweeney's frightening side as well mm. as his comic side as well as his profoundly damaged and vulnerable side you have to have somebody mm. who can do the full range which is which is a bit of an ask i think and he did manage it didn't he and he did manage it and there's something there's something about his and i don't mean this offensively to michael but he's got a size that just fills the stage and it's not there's a, it's a presence but it's physically as well he's just lumbering and it's just there was a weight to him that was terrifying lumbering mm. yes it was i mean I, i'm i'm almost loath to to alter that cast but i am i am going to play with imaginary castings here well let's jump in then there's a asteroid hurtling towards earth everyone's about to be obliterated you get to see your show sweeney todd who's your dream cast right well apart from john owen jones as sweeney who would be extremely interesting to see but we're not we're not going to have that <laughs> that Hooray. would just be too much he always gets cast joe i'm so thrilled <laughs> <laughs> i am going to cast um golden age philip quast as sweeney what did i tell you i told you didn't i alistair you did told that she was going to cast philip and and quite right yeah but you knew you knew that you know that i'm a sucker for philip quast oh, he's an absolutely brilliant he's a wonderful human being and a phenomenal performer such a good Next. performer such a good actor such a good voice um yeah. and i think he could do both the vulnerable and the trollish and the comic yeah. in in much the same way that's required and i think i am going to cast judy dench as mrs lovett yeah wow. as far as i know she's never done it no but that's an oversight i'm going to cast judy dench in the 80s as mrs mm. lovett and and see what happens because i think she'd be very good i think she's got a huge uh, range of different styles and nuances okay. i saw her on a school trip in London, in Juno and the Paycock, and she was just the right sort of age then. So I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna pull her out of time Great. and insert her into this performance. And then I'm going to have Jonathan Price as the judge. Beautiful, yeah, Jonathan Price. Yeah, um, I have to mention that I used to live with Judy Dench. I've said that before on this podcast. I have to drop that in because I was at school, uh, drama school with her daughter. Then I worked with her, and I've worked with, with Jonathan Price, and I've worked with Philip Quast. Oh. I'm the only one that asked me for advice. Was Philip Quast? That's nice. What did they ask? He said, "How would you play Bless Sweeney?" Him. And I said, "Like this." <laughs> and then he did it. <laughs> Jonathan Price, of course, um, famously was the original um, engineer in Miss Saigon, which is the show I've done. Um, so, but, but he, but I think he'd be good as Judge Turpin now, wouldn't he? He would yeah. actually. I think he'd be fine, except that he doesn't. He he doesn't sing anymore. But uh, bum, 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 I would bum. I would love to cast him. Um, mm. Because he's again, he he does a huge range of different. He can do damaged, and he can do sinister, 
and he can yeah. do a sort of charm as well, which is really necessary, I think, for, for one of these characters. Yeah, it's that sort of Higgins charm, isn't it? The Henry Higgins kind of charm he has. He played that, of course. Yes. Um, yeah. In fact, I saw him in that. I saw I saw him in that in London when it opened. Yeah, so did I. And yeah. I was surprised at, at how funny he was. Yes. And how yeah. energetic he was yeah. in, because he, well, was, he was playing... I saw, Quite a bit younger than than he actually was. Right. Yeah, I saw was... him do the engineer in the original cast of Miss Saigon. Wow. Oh wow! So uh, yeah, but he's all those characteristics you just mentioned about his charm and his, you know, his the darkness underneath all that. That's that's all in the engineer as well. So yeah, he'd be a perfect fit for the judge. Who have you got for Anthony? Anthony, um, I've got I've got a lot of people, but I think I think I might have Ramin Karimlu as Anthony. Sort okay. of youthful, right. youthful okay. Ramin Karimlu. Sure. Uh, not that he is uh, youthful, youthful now, but yeah, not the not the haggard, ugly old man he's become. <laughs> <laughs> he's still he's still incredibly dashing. But yes, sort yeah. of him him in his in his sort of Marius days. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you when 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 my kid was a teenager, we went to see him in um, in Love Never Dies. Oh yeah. And my kid was extremely impressed, and so we went to see Love Never Dies rather more often than anybody ought to see Love Never Dies. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, for many reasons. I saw it two or three times. So, did you see the original version of it before they changed it? Yes, yes, and then we saw it after they changed it, and we had interminable conversations on how they should have changed it as opposed to how they did change it. But yeah, it yeah, was, that was exactly the same. It was yeah. not entirely satisfactory in all its incarnations. I think this is this is what happens when you don't get a writer to actually write the screenplay. Yes, that's true. But also, it's, you know, it really suffers from the fact that it didn't need to be made. That's what I always think about no, that show. The score's great, but it, it just, you didn't need to resolve the Phantom story. It was much no. more enigmatic with just how it ended, you know? So, right, so you've got, okay, that's a pretty good cast so far. Okay, fine. Let's keep going. Joanna, who, who have you, well, why didn't you just list who you've got? Because it's quite a big cast, isn't it? It's a big cast. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to have Gina Beck as Joanna. Beautiful. Heaven. Young Gina Beck, when I first saw her, when I first saw her in Phantom of the Opera, um, mm. and she's got a beautiful voice, and she can do that floaty... It's a stunning soprano. She's, yes, and I have to say that I'm not always in love with soprano voices, but hers is yeah, so clean and yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, she has a gorgeous voice. I would love to, love to hear it again in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I should also say, whilst before we get on with this, Gina Becker did Les Mis with her. She was. I know, I saw it. But then I was doing Phantom and we lost all our Christines and she came in to do two shows on a Thursday or Wednesday, whenever the matinee was. Oh, she was, look, this is no disrespect to any of the other Christines I've ever worked with, but she was the best. Mm. You know, she was just everything I always wanted in a Christine. I think, yes. Yeah, phenomenal. And such a lovely person as well. We, yeah. Great. We also saw Phantom many times, and I, I kind of agree. Yeah. She she was she was a wonderful Christine. And and yeah. also, you were a very, very good Phantom, I think. you know. The... Thank you very much, Joanne. The fibres in the post. That's what he, that's what he was fishing for. It, it's not my favourite musical by any means, but I saw it many, many times yeah. because my kid wanted to see every cast change for a number of years. But... <laughs> and Sean was the Phantom in every single one. <laughs> no, but in many. <laughs> I have seen a number of phantoms, and percentage. they were many of them very good. But, but you sort of—I think you do something that Philip Quast also does. You do something to the air. It's not just the sounds. Oh, it's, it's also something to the 
the atmosphere um because you know that's it's okay i'm getting such a big head here my headphones are stretching who else have you got in your cast Ooh, ooh! tell me some more names the beetle bamford oh the beetle yes oh yeah the beetle now i am going to cast john barrowman as the beetle because i think he could probably camp it up nicely yeah yeah that's a great idea i would never have thought of casting barrowman well i know but it's probably something that he's hungry for too yeah. he, he's always played the dashing one he's probably excited to do something yeah. like that well it, it would be interesting i think casting people slightly outside of what you expect can sometimes be a rewarding thing mm. i agree i wish the casting directors would agree with you but there mm. we are mm. so um who would be who would be your um yes who would be your toby oh I'm thinking Jeff Nicholson. No way. <laughs> yep. Right. So Jeff Nicholson, uh, that's amazing. The, the six foot five. Yeah. Six foot five. Just played Boise in Only Fools and Horses, the musical. Absolutely. <laughs> and you want him to play. Yep, but that's all right. We don't, we don't, we don't think You want that. him to play the, the very young character that has a massive nervous breakdown at the end. That's amazing. Yes, but you would, you, I would, I would cast him as a very young character. I would, he would, I would have love to be, to see that. you know, rather younger. Maybe we could maybe we could use our magic powers to sort of scale him down by thirty <laughs> percent. He, yeah. he is a bit tall. This is true. He's a bit yeah. tall, but I think it would be an interesting juxtaposition. Also, I've got quite a tall cast here, so it might yeah. not show quite as much. No, but actually, it's really good because I mean, he could play it like um, Lenny from Of Mice and Men. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he could. Well, I thought. I yeah, mean, that's a great idea. My my thinking is coloured by the fact that basically I've only ever seen him play Javert. Uh-huh. But my kid was very very into his interpretation of Javert, um, and he was very kind. He Jeff actually... is an extra. I'm so glad that you've cast him because he was Grantaire when I when I I did it. You probably saw me play Marius then, you know. But he. Um, I may well have done. He, but he's so he is so underrated as an actor singer like yeah. he should have been just playing Javert the whole time you know yeah, yeah he is yeah. truly remarkable yeah well he um, played so Javert so opposite me cast him. He, uh, he covered it and he went yes. on a lot opposite me and we had a lot of fun it was great and he was in that production yes, of Sweeney Todd I did at the Coliseum mm-hmm. um, I think he might have even covered the judge then so but I, so I don't think he understudied Toby sadly but uh <laughs> yeah so who else who's jo- oh you've got Joanna no we've done Joanna who else is left Beggar woman? Have you got the beggar woman? No, I haven't got the beggar woman. Oh God! Um, arms, arms for a miserable woman. Well, actually, why don't you play it then, Alistair? You'd be good at it. If if we're casting outside our type, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm thinking Samantha Barks. Okay. Would that be? <laughs> yeah, would yeah. That be a good? dear dear friend of mine. She would love that. And a former guest on this podcast. She's got a great voice and can also swing from one thing to another rather well, which which she needs to do. The last part, really, and then that's all cast done, is um, Signor Pirelli. Oh, yeah. Of course. I forgot about that. Yeah. I've thought about this one. Um, I was thinking maybe maybe Wynne Evans. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an obvious shout, isn't it? Yeah. Perfect casting. It's a bit too obvious, though, isn't it? And I'm not sure yeah, that Yeah, but it, it's absolutely perfect for it. Sometimes the easy route is the best route to take, and as a casting director... He's the first name I'd put on a list. Yes, it is the first. Maybe he could, because he's just one celebrity master chef. Has he really? <laughs> yeah, maybe he could get some of your books and just cook up feasts for the cast. Or maybe, actually, he could even um, prepare all the interval drinks. Nice. Have you got an interval drink? So you've got to the interval of this incredibly well-cast show. What are you going to have to drink? Champagne. 
I think if the world's going to end, it's going to be champagne and the very best kind of champagne. Yes, it's, it tends to be a very popular choice, that. Yes. Yeah. It's either that or some ridiculously ornate cocktail. Yeah. But do you have a particular brand of champagne? That you drink? When you finish a book, do you have a particular bottle you go, hmm. Ah, if only. You know how some people have a cigar? Yeah, I, I don't I do not do that. But um, but a, a nice bottle of vintage Veuve Clicquot would be, would be very nice. Oh, I love a bottle of Veuve. Sadly, I can't drink that anymore. But uh, do, actually, this is an interesting tangent. Do you have a ritual for when you finish a book? Well, usually not really, because I don't like finishing things. I don't like right. the gap between one thing and another. So when I finish a book, I nearly always jump onto something else almost immediately. And usually there's something either already started or ready yeah. to go. Wow. So that I don't have that moment of thinking, okay, maybe there'll never be another idea. Maybe I won't know where to go from this. Right. Yeah. Have you had a moment where you don't know what's coming next? You don't know. I try very hard to avoid that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Let's look at your achievements here, right? So uh, you're a flautist, which we haven't even talked about, which is like you play the flute. You've been in a, the same band since you were 16. Uh, you're a vocalist. You're a lyricist. Uh, you're a celebrated author. You have an OBE, an FRSL. Uh, you're half French. You love to cook. You've written cookbooks. You have synesthesia. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I smell colours, basically. Smell colours? Yeah, really interesting, uh, which the character in Blue Word Boy has as well. Sorry, uh, sorry. can we just stop? What do you mean? That's amazing. Well, it's... May it read the book? Well, yes, you could, you could read the book, but it's, it's basically a, it's, it's a neurological anomaly whereby people who have it, their senses, instead of existing separately from each other, have this interlocking thing that they do. So very often you have music that triggers colours for people. Yeah. With me, it's colours that trigger scents. Wow. So right now I'm in a shed where a lot of the furnishings smell of chocolate because for me, red triggers chocolate. God. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely mad. That is extraordinary. What, is it cool? Or is it, is it, can it be difficult? Or I, I think don't... it can be difficult for some people. Everybody experiences it in a different way. So some, I, I met one guy who, who could taste words. And so he always had these tastes in his mouth and some of them were unpleasant. Um, so I guess that would have been difficult. <sighs> and, and some people have problems when yes. colours spark sound because everything is very noisy around them if they go into, you know, yeah. Benetton or something. Um wow. With mine, God. it's always been pretty enriching. I mean, sometimes there yeah. are some colours that smell objectively quite horrible. 
This is an extra. I've never, I never knew about this world. I never knew that there was these, this world of people that, what a fascinating, and it, what is it? It's not a disease. It's What's a it, neurodiversity. Okay. Um, yeah. You can have it from birth or you can have it from a brain incident, like a lot of other kinds of neurodiversity. But yes, there's a whole community yeah. of people. That is unbelievable. How amazing. Yeah. Well, apart from that, you also are a champion of different charities. Mm. So you're also a cancer survivor, which you've not even talked about. But you also turn 60 next year. I do, yes. That, I mean, are you just going to have a rest? <laughs> no. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> do nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you got anything planned for your 60th? No, I haven't. I I don't really wow. do birthdays. I don't do extravagant events. And so I don't even know if I'll be in the country. I might be touring for my new book, which which comes yeah. out in June. So it could well be that I'll be doing an event on my birthday. It could well be. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't you have your diary planned well in advance? I would have thought you would have. A lot of it is. But then again, you were able to fit us in. Oh, I could always I can always fit you in. Oh. Um, but... <laughs> No, I, I, a lot of things are in advance. Uh, things like festivals and foreign tours have to be booked in advance. But, you know, yeah. there's there's usually a bit of wiggle room for other things. I mean, podcasts are great because you can... You can do. I can do them from my shed at pretty much any mm. time, which is, which is nice. Yes, of course. And it's also, I mean, from a personal point of view, it's, it's really nice to talk about something that's not the obvious thing. That's nice. Yeah. Having said that, it's also really good to plug things on your podcast. Um, so why do we talk about your new book very briefly? That's coming out when? Uh, it's it's coming June. out in June. June 24, and it's called? It's called The Moonlight Market. How long before you release the book, before it comes out, do you actually finish it? When do you hand it in? Oh, well, publishing has very long lead times. Yeah. Um, my publishers like things at least 12 months in advance. Goodness. Um, sometimes they like it 18 months in advance. Oh my They're already fussing about the book that's coming out in 2025, which oh. I said I would finish next year in March. And they're already fussing because they want to see it. They want a synopsis. They want to title. They want to know what's going to happen. So it, it's, it's a bit like anything. You, you know, you, when you are touring, you have part of your head, which is talking about the thing that you're touring for, uh -huh. which you probably finished at least two years ago. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And the yeah. other part of your head is thinking about something new all the time, inevitably, like like any performer, actually. Uh, am I right in saying that that's a larger part of your head, the part thinking about the thing you're currently writing, because that's the world that you're living in at that time? Oh, yes, but that's a portable world, and you can just park it sometimes and talk about something else, and, and you, you kind of have right. to. But yes, these things do take a long, long time. Yeah. Wow. That's, that lead time is absolutely crazy. So no wonder you haven't really got anything planned <laughs> well, quite. for the 60th. Because you, you just never know, do you? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. And do you also, the last thing, last thing about your writing, do you also carry a little notebook with you? So any little ideas, you jot them down. Because the worst thing is having an idea that you know is great and then forgetting it, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I forget ideas all the time. But I do carry notebooks. In fact, this is my current little notebook. It's a Japanese notebook my kid gave it to me and I carry these notebooks around with me I've, I've got one in every every bag I've got just just in case I think of something brilliant yeah, my last question as a as a desperate fledgling writer just because <laughs> because you say you forget ideas all the time and then you is is part of the process of becoming a writer coming to terms with the fact that you will never have the perfect idea just write the thing you're thinking about it's absolutely right okay. I think waiting for things is 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 
people who wait generally are waiting because they haven't given themselves permission to write or to take themselves seriously or because they think they'll never be as good as somebody they admire. Mm. But actually, everybody feels this way. Everybody has felt this way. You just you just do it. You don't worry too much about whether it's good or whether it's going to be successful. You just do it and see where it takes you. And if you enjoy it, you keep doing it. Amazing. So we're going to do something called What Three Words. It's a skill that Alistair's got uh, where he can basically tell you how many letters are in a sentence. Since we have a celebrated author on here, Alistair, yes, they're going I to think be, she's going to challenge they're you. They're going to be exciting ones. She's going to challenge you, yeah. <laughs> she's a living, breathing thesaurus. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? It's a special skill to give you a thrill and prove he's a real wordsmith. Give him three words and he can say how many letters they contain right away. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? Oh, what three words have you heard that you'd really like to challenge Al with? Joanne Harris, what are your three words? Louche, subversive, temperamental. I don't know how you spell loose. 23 plus loose. How do you spell loose? <laughs> L-U-C-H-E. 29. <laughs> what three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? It's a special skill to give you a thrill and prove he's a real wordsmith. Give him three words and he can say how many letters they contain right away. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? Oh, what three words have you heard that you'd really like to challenge Al with? Yeah, bizarre, isn't it? It's a really weird thing, that, isn't it? I don't know. Would that be useful for you as an author, do you think? I think it would actually be very useful. <laughs> do you use words as a processor? What do you use to write on? I work on my laptop using Microsoft Word or in notebooks. or And that gives you a, a word count, right? So he's like a living, breathing Microsoft <laughs> Word program, isn't he? That's great. <laughs> Except I never, never use the word count. No. Never. I don't count words. Well, having read some of your novels, that's quite apparent. <laughs> Let's get back to the, the musicals just, now. So it's, it's very hard not to talk to you about books. This production of Sweeney Todd that you want to see, where would you like to see it? What's your ideal venue? Well, I mean, I kind of thought I'd like to see it at the Adelphi again, but okay. there are so many theatres that, that, that it would be interesting in, including there's a really interesting theatre in Italy, um, which is in a cave overlooking the sea. Um, this sounds great. I can't remember what town it was in, but I did see some footage from it at one point and they were, they were staging opera there. I think I know what you mean. I can't remember the name, but I think I've seen that on social media and stuff. That does look incredible. Let's say that's it then. The Italian cave. That would be, that okay. would be interesting. Would your meal afterwards, would it be Italian or have you got something else in mind? Italian meals would be nice. I like Italian food enormously and I know it well. But what would your ideal last meal be then, really? Oh, well, it would depend what time of year it was. Good answer. Okay. You could just have you could just have a Four Seasons pizza. <laughs> Covers all the bases. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I would want something. I think I would want something a bit more representative than that. So let's say let's say it's this time of year. Okay. So maybe a little porcini salad to start off with, and yeah. maybe some pasta. Like let's say some some tagliatella with 
truffle. Oh. Truffle oil and shaved yeah. white truffle. Nice. That would be quite nice. Oh, white truffle. Yeah. Um, yes, that would be good. That's good. And um, where would you like to have this? Would that just be a takeout or would you actually go somewhere to have this? Is there a particular All restaurant, the restaurants yeah. I know in Italy are very small and humble and this is where the best food is. Yeah. There was a place outside of Milan that my publisher took me that just looked like somebody's back room. Yeah. And there was an old lady who was doing the cooking who would pop in from time to time to see how it was going. And Nonna. Yeah. Uh, she was wonderful. Um, and we had about 12 courses and the food just kept coming because there was no menu. And that was probably one of the best oh, meals heaven. I've ever had. So it would be a place like that, I think. Not, not but a it can be, place. But it can be that place. Why not? Let's make it that place. Nonna's house. I think it could Let's be Let's call that it place. Nonna's house. Yes. Nonna's house. Also, one th- really important aspect of your um, last show evening is your plus one, your person that you're going to watch this with. Would this be, I'm guessing, it would be your kid, Fred? I think so. I think yeah. so, yes. My, my kid, Fred, who, who really, I mean, I had never been to see a musical yeah. before, before this because my, I'd seen musicals on TV yeah. and some of them I'd liked and some of them I hadn't. But I'd never been to the theatre to see a musical, but um, Fred was particularly interested in wanting to go. And, and uh, so when he was about 14, we, we started to go and see shows. Yeah. And, and I, got, I got very interested in them. And, and he started off with, with Phantom, which was, I think, a good entry point. Yeah. And then proceeded to other musicals and, and ended up you know, being a big Sondheim fan, as am I. Yes, of course. Um, and and is now actually working in theatre. I was going to um, ask what Fred was up to now. Is a tech in theatre. Where? Um, he's working. He's just about to um, to to start at Stranger Things. Oh no way! Ah. And he, he was at the Palace for a while, for quite a long time. On the Harry Potter. Yeah, did a lot of depping initially, then became permanent at the Palace, and is now um, going to Stranger Things, which which will teach him even more about lighting but it has been just obsessed with 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 theater lighting since since he was a teenager which yeah. i think is really interesting amazing well look i think we've i think we've covered your last show on earth yes we? i think we have yeah so we've got everything there we have i mean we would have to have a big ensemble as well because there are so many wonderful singers that i yeah. would love to see and that they, they they're all there in the ensemble so if i haven't mentioned you you haven't got a list of them have you I have. I've, I've got a little. I've got a little list. <laughs> and they'll none of them be missed. They'll none of let's, them. Let's reel be the names out. People who I love, but who I couldn't quite manage to fit into this, this, this rather odd uh, cast. Well, you yeah. know, I've got. I've got Earl Carpenter. Yeah. I've got Rosalie Craig, who I saw in uh, in Company, who was wonderful, and I I, yeah. I just couldn't fit her into She's the cast, great. but I'd like to see her. Of um, I've got Hadley Fraser. Yeah. I've got Rebecca Kane. Oh yeah. I've got Stephen J. Davis. Yeah. Um, and I've also got Adam Pierce, who was in in that that production at the Adelphi that I saw, who has such a wonderful. You know, he had a stroke. No, I didn't. Yeah, he had he had a stroke, and oh my. he has fought against this, and he's now back on stage within I think twelve months. He had to relearn to walk. Oh. You know, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh wow! So, and there was such an outpouring of love for him from our industry as well towards him. You know, so so I'm glad you've included. I'm him. so so glad. Yeah, so glad he's bounced back. Yeah. And who else? But yes, I mean, I I could I could prepare this for six months, and I would keep adding <laughs> people, but 
Well, there's you. There's both of you, of course. Ah, oh, there we are. I was wondering if you were going to chuck us in there, th- just just to be nice. <laughs> yes, that's lovely. Thank you. I'm telling you, would you have um, would you have Mandy Batinkin in the cast at all? Oh my! Oh, I've forgotten him, but he's wonderful. Well, it's lucky that you think the that. reason that, um, that that John mentioned Mandy is because we've come to a section of the podcast called Mandy Sings. Now, <laughs> John Owen Jones does an impersonation of Mandy Patinkin. And we have a little game yeah. for you where he is going to sing you a song in the style of Mandy. Okay. Um, slightly exaggerated style. And you have to try and uh, figure out, determine what the song is. Oh, nice. It's Mandy, it's Mandy. You gotta try and guess at the song that he sings. It's Mandy, it's Mandy. You gotta try and get it. I really hope you get it. It's Mandy. Sings. Aha! Right, just warmed up now. Lovely. Here we go. Midnight, not a sound on the pavement. Has the moon lost her memory? She is smiling alone in the lamplight. The withered leaves collect my feet. And the wind begins to moan. What's that song, Joanne? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, good. Oh. Right, okay. Well, um, go on. Tell me. Tell me what it is. I was just fascinated by the accent. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I'll do the first line again, right? But in a much more easy way to find out what it is. Right? Don't do the whole thing again. And there's a clue in the fact that I said that it's hard to forget this song. Uh. Midnight, not a sound from the pavement. <laughs> That's it, I'm not doing any more. You must have it now. Has the moon lost her memory? Okay, it's... <laughs> it's from Cats, yes. all right. <laughs> And that's Cats the Musical, not Cats the, um, the the College. Not Cats the College. No, I was. No. You see, I was. I was so convinced that you were going to be doing something from Sunday in the Park with George that my head was full of red, 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 orange, orange, pick a blue, pick a blue. Of course. <laughs> it's Mandy. It's Mandy. You gotta try and guess at the song that he sings. It's Mandy. It's Mandy. You gotta try and get it. I really hope you get it. No. Mandy sings. We've had Mandy. Would you like to have another celebrity? We've got celebrity. This is really tenuous, right? We've had a celebrity <laughs> send a voice. <laughs> We've had. Um, so as you can tell, Joanne, we don't really take this podcast very seriously, <laughs> um, but we we do have a great time doing it. Now, a very famous person has sent me a voice note, which I'm going to play to you over the phone, uh, and they've got a question for you. This is a little part of the podcast we call The Celebrity Question. Ooh, it's The Celebrity Question. Ooh, who could it be? Who's the celebrity? Question from. Okay, here we go with The Celebrity Question. Recording this. In my study, in Chartwell, seven days before my death, in 1965. In the vain hope that one day it may be used on a second-rate theatrical podcast hosted by a couple of chancers 
for their ill-conceived celebrity question bit. <laughs> Welsh, then. <laughs> My celebrity question is this. Here comes the question. Joanne, as a celebrated author yourself, do you subscribe to the idea posited by Margaret Atwood <laughs> that an author needs to grab the attention of the reader within the first five pages. And if they don't, then their writing is, in fact, crap. God, that was tortuous. <laughs> right, so that was that was tortuous. I'm so sorry about that. Winston Churchill doesn't <laughs> half go on. <laughs> That's terrible. But look, that is just... Uh, that's a really interesting question that he, he said, though. Um, if an author doesn't grab the audience within five pages, are they crap? Um, no, I don't think they're crap, but they will be largely unread. Yeah. Because people tend to have quite short attention spans, and although it's it's not necessarily fair to expect a story to to be immediately attractive in five pages, in yeah. principle, that's that's usually how much time people give something. And and it is the responsibility of the author to go, you know, you should care about this next bit. There's yeah. there's something that I like to call the so what test. Uh-huh. And every page has to pass it. Because if it doesn't pass the so what test, you can't expect the reader to care. Yeah. What is the so what test? The so what test is if you reach the end of the page and you say so what and you don't care, then you don't have to turn it. Right. So yeah. The rest yeah. of us are there trying to make the reader care about characters, about what happens, make them want to stay, because, you know, there's nothing that forces them to stay if they don't want to. No. They don't have that obligation. Yeah. Well, there are two types of books, in my opinion. There's boring and there's interesting, right? And I'm currently reading Blue Eyed Boy, which is interesting, and which is also frustrating because I like to read before I go to bed. Ah. Don't read that book before you go to bed. <laughs> well, um... I like to read books at night that help me get to sleep. And I, I find that I'm staying up very late reading your book because I can't put it <laughs> That's down. Very nice. So it's frustrating. So, yeah. Um, right. I think we've come to the end. Have we come to yeah, the end? Yeah, I shall do a little recap for you of, of your last show on Earth. Joanne Harris, OBE, author extraordinaire. Your last show on Earth would be Sweeney Todd, starring Philip Quaster Sweeney, 80s Judy Dench, um, circa Juno and the Paycock as Mrs. Lovett. Judge Turpin will be played by Jonathan Price. Anthony will be Ramin Karimlu. Joanna will be Gina Beck. The Beadle will be a camped-up John Barrowman. Uh, uh, the the 14-year-old the boy, Toby, will be played by the six-foot-five Jeff Nicholson. Samantha, <laughs> Samantha Barks will play the beggar woman. Pirelli will be Wynne Evans, perfectly cast, with an ensemble including, but not only, Earl Carpenter, Rosalie Craig, Hadley Fraser, Rebecca Kane, Stephen J. Davis, Adam Pearce, John Owen Jones and Alistair Brammer. Thanks for putting us in. That's nice. And six months worth of other people that exactly, she hasn't exactly. Written Absolutely. Um, in the interval, yeah. you will enjoy a bottle of um, Vuve Clico. Vuve Clico. Yeah. Clico champagne. Um, you will watch it either at the Adelphi or in a cave in Italy. Um, you will do it all with Fred and you will go and go to Nonna's Lounge and get a porcini salad and tagliatelle with sliced white truffle afterwards. Oh, white truffle. I haven't had that, that for years. That pretty nice, to be honest. Yeah, that's not bad. That's what, So let's wrap up and let's finish off with our little Billy Elliot joke. Now, we have a little, the end of the show. 
uh, we like to finish with our guest putting a smile on the faces of our listeners. And we do that by using something that was um, years ago when Billy Elliot was auditioning actors. They asked them to tell a joke in a Northeastern accent, you know, in like an, an accent like that man, like Anton Deck, you know. Um, you don't have to do the accent. Thank but you. If you, wanted, if you wanted to get a job <laughs> in God. Billy Elliot, you'd have to tell a joke. So would you mind telling us what your Billy Elliot joke is? Okay, this is the last joke I heard. So a man walks into a pub dressed in his best. There's a bowl of peanuts on the bar. Uh, he takes one. The bowl of peanuts says to him, wow, you look gorgeous tonight. That tie really suits you. <laughs> Feeling happy with himself, he goes into the bathroom tries the condom machine. The condom machine says, my God, you look rubbish. That tie looks foul on you. Just go home. You're an embarrassment. <laughs> he goes out to order his drink, feeling slightly confused and complains to the barman, who says to him, oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, the peanuts are complimentary. The condom machine's out of order. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. That's a joke I've never heard. That's there brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very much, Very Joanne. good. That was brilliant. That was great. Thank you so much for being our guest on the last show on Earth, Joanne <laughs> Harris. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank brilliant. you, Joanne. That was amazing. Thank you. Joanne Harris there with her last show on Earth, Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd. Un choix exceptionnel. Look, I know you're living in Paris at the moment, but enough of the terrible, terrible French, please. Pardon. I am indeed in Paris at the moment where I am doing a different Sondheim musical, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which runs here until early February 2024. Details on my website. Also, I thought it fitting to do that in French because Joanne's first language is French. Joanne was delightful company, and I know we say this a lot, but we really could have talked to her for ages. In fact, I chatted to her for an hour after you left the call, Al. There are so many fascinating aspects of her life and career that we didn't even touch upon. That's right. We talked about many things, but didn't really discuss her charity work, her advocacy of trans rights, surviving cancer, her previous career as an accountant, her French heritage, getting her MBE, and then upgrade. <laughs> what did we talk to her about? And then upgrading to an OBE. Surely there's going to be a damehood coming away at some point. Seriously, did we? All we did was bombarded with stupid questions. I'm so sorry, Joanne. Oh, and by the way, we think the name of that Italian cave that we mentioned is Grotte di Castellana. Oh. Lovely pronunciation there. Mm. With my French, your Italian, and the fact that you revealed in the last episode that you can speak German, this podcast has a very international feel, which is handy, as our podcast is available all over the world. Listeners everywhere can check out all our previous episodes of the last show on all sorts of podcast providers like Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. And also, if you like what you hear, then please leave us a sparkling review wherever you can, as it really helps people discover the show. Please also follow us on at the last show pod on X. No, Twitter. It's called Twitter. And at the last show on Earth podcast on Instagram. We'll put links to the things we talked about in this episode in the podcast description too. So one more episode this year, just in time for Christmas. Working around my filming schedule, I'll be shooting a TV show in Finland. And then we'll be moving to a different release schedule in 2024. Instead of monthly episodes, we'll be releasing episodes in a season format. You know, like the Americans do in TV shows. Awesome. Yes, indeed. More info on that and, of course, more theatrical chat when you join us for the next episode of The Last Show on Earth. On Here We 
ask the question nobody dared to ask. If you had a day to live, what show would be your last? What is your last show on earth? This is the last show on earth. My name is John. My name is Al. Been friends a long time past. You want to know what show you'd see if you knew it was to be your last? What is your last show on earth? This is the last show on earth. What is your last show on earth? What is your last show on earth? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.